Good morning, everyone. So Lakeland turns 27 years old in five days. Yeah. A couple of those songs were written just for church, just for the mission of our church, which hasn't changed, you know, to be a place where uh, people who have doubts and questions can come and explore those with God and, and find the love of Jesus. So um, those songs are just as appropriate today as they were 27-ish. I won't say all those songs were written the very first year, but somewhere close to it. So, um, well, I want to start out today talking about the TV show Undercover Boss. Did you guys see this TV show, Undercover Boss? I'm sure like all reality shows, it's 80% fake, but uh, I love the premise all the same. Uh, They take the founder of um, or the CEO of like a restaurant chain or a motel chain or a retail store and they dress them up in makeup and so you can't tell who they are and then they have them re-enter their company as a as a entry-level employee and, and get trained right and so undercover boss and I love some of the moments that happen like you'll have a really horrible manager or a really terrible employee who's training this new person and they don't know that they're training their bosses, 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 boss, and uh, they're doing it all wrong, and, and, and they're getting caught big time. Um, I also like the parts toward the end when the owner, the founder, realizes that the dream they had for this company and how this company has actually turned out to work for are not close together, and so they try to make some positive changes. I like that. But my devious side, and I have a huge devious side, um, I really like the part where the, the manager guy will tell the new guy or girl, there's women run these companies too, and they'll be like, you know, I know how to run this place better than the CEO. The founder's clueless. They don't have any idea. And they're like saying it to the, to the founder's face. And, and uh, I, I just love the irony of that moment when they realize what they've done. Um, they think they're testing this new person, like to see what they're made of and to test their character and qualifications. And really, it's, it's they that are being tested. They think they're testing the new person, but it's they who are being tested. And I love the the switch on that. I think that's a lot of times how we accidentally approach God. Um, You know, we'll come to God with questions, you know, God, what do you think about this? What do you think I ought to do about that? And we kind of come at it like, if you think how I already think, if you're telling me to do what I already feel I should do, then then I'll give you the privilege of showing up to your church and the honor of me worshiping you. But if, God, you try to say something different than what I already think or tell me to do something different than what I want to do, then you're fired. And I think sometimes we approach God that way. Um, there's, someone is about to approach Jesus that way in our passage this morning. So watch as this unfolds. We're studying Matthew 21 and 22 for the next few weeks still. And we're going to pick up right where we left off last week at verse 23. When Jesus entered the temple, the chief priests and elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? So yesterday Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a baby donkey, which was an Old Testament sign that he was the king come to save not just Israel but the world. Then he walks into what at that time was the holiest shrine on earth, the temple in Jerusalem, and he acts like he owns the place. He throws over tables and chairs, kicks, you know, tables over, says that, you know, this, this place is not measuring up to the mission of God. Now here he is the next morning teaching in the temple. He's not yet 35 years old, and he speaks with a Galilean accent, which 
uh, in that time was the same as saying he talked like a hillbilly from up north. And so the priests come in and they're like, who do you think you are to come down here and act like this? Who do you think you are? And that's often, I think, sometimes how we question God. God, who do you think you are? When we come to God and we say, uh, God, tell me what you think about, pick a topic. God, what do you think about, pick any topic. Now, questions like that for God are good if we have in our heart this, if we have this in our heart. God, tell me what you think about this so that I can know your mind. And so that I can follow your ways. And so that I can try to understand that. And I can try to live that way. Because God, I believe that you know how to run the universe better than I do. Because you created the universe. And I believe that you know how to run a human life better than I do. Because you created human life. You created my life. So if that's how we come to God saying, God, what do you think about this? He loves that question. If on the other hand, we come to God saying, well, God, tell me what you think about this topic. So, you know, I can see what you think, because if it lines up with what I think, then we're good to go. But if it's something different than what I think, if you want me to do something different than what I've been doing, well, no God of mine is going to come mess with this. No God of mine would think that way, so I'll make up another God. It's pretty easy to do. I'll go find another one. If that's how we're coming to God, then that's trouble. That's trouble, and we'll see why as the morning unfolds here. Understand, that's what these priests are doing as they come with these questions to Jesus. Who gave you this authority? What they really would want to ask is, you know, are you the Messiah? Are you the one come to save us, you think? But here's the deal. There's no answer that Jesus is going to give that's going to end with these priests saying, well, that's great. We'll follow you then. That's not in the spirit that they're asking, who gave you this authority? Here's what's happening. Um... Jesus rode into town and people are singing songs and they're really excited and oh, it's the prophet from Galilee. And, and that whole crowd used to follow these guys. And they would like to have them back. So as they ask these questions to Jesus, they're hoping he'll say something they can use to turn this crowd against him. What they would like even better is if they could catch him saying something that would let them call the Roman Empire in to kill Jesus for them so that they didn't even have to do it. They could turn to the crowd and say, gosh, those Romans, are, they took away our favorite guy, shucks. Um, and so that's what's in their heart. They're asking, do you already line up with what I think? Because they've already decided. They've already decided. Um, so these are not genuine questions that Jesus is being asked. As they say in Star Wars, it's a trap. So, which is why I love Jesus' answer. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, I'll also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I'll also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven or was it of human origin? Well, before they answer that, they want to have a quick conference. So they step off to the side. And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he'll say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we're afraid of the crowd for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus. We do not know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. 
So pretty well all my life, I have thought, this is the most brilliant question dodge I've ever seen. You know, well, I'll ask you a hard question, and if you'll answer it, then I'll answer your hard question. No, then no. And I thought, wow, a great way to dodge the question. I, after studying this, I don't believe that he's dodged the question. I actually think Jesus answered their question. I actually think Jesus answered their question. So they're talking about John the Baptist um, is who they're talking about. That is Jesus' cousin or some version of a cousin, some relative of his. And he's only not even a year older than Jesus. And John came on the scene as a, as a prophet. He goes out in the desert. He wears strange clothes. He eats strange food. But he preaches the time of the Lord's day has come. Prepare for the one who was promised in the Old Testament is about to come. Make paths straight and everybody get ready and repent and be baptized so you can join in to the kingdom of God. And thousands of people went out to hear John the Baptist preach from this crowd, for instance, and they loved him and they got baptized out in the desert. And so Jesus basically just asked these guys, they said, Why, by what authority did you do this? And Jesus says, well, I have a question for you. By what authority did John the Baptist do what he did? Now, what they'd like to say is, by human authority, his own, he's a crazy person. Everybody knows this. But the, that would make their followers mad because their followers also love John the Baptist. So they don't want to say that. Well, they don't want to say it came from God because Jesus would say, really, then why didn't you follow John the Baptist? So they're, they're caught. So they act like they don't know. I don't know. But here's the truth. John the Baptist's preaching came from God. And if they would answer that question, they would have the answer to their question. Jesus, by what authority do you do this? Well, where did John come from? He came from God. Well, so do I. That would be the answer to their question. In fact, if they believed John's preaching, they would even know more than that. They'd know who Jesus was. If we flip back 20 chapters in three years to the preaching of John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, here's some of the things that John said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then here's what Matthew says about John. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. So John's telling you the day of the Lord's coming. If you go up to verse 11, John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. And I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. John's telling them who Jesus is. He's the one who's coming after to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire and with great power. He's the promised one. So had they believed John the Baptist, they would know where Jesus came from and who he is and why he came. They'd have all the answers. But they can't and they won't say those things because they're worried about politics and popularity and having followers and not sharing them. So they can't answer the questions Jesus is asking, and they won't answer the questions Jesus is asking. And when someone can't or won't answer because they have something else they're holding up higher than the truth, there's really no point in continuing that discussion. And that's why Jesus doesn't get into it. There's nothing he can say that will end with these folks saying, well, we'll follow you too. And so there's no need to go there because they've already, they've already decided. They decide. That's the trouble. They decide who the Messiah is, not God, them. They've decided the Messiah will be a warrior and he will start a war with Rome and get them out of here. 
They've already decided the Messiah will be a, a leader and he will make Israel a world power. And they've probably already decided the Messiah will probably come from our group. He certainly will not be a redneck from Galilee. And they've decided these things. And so there's no point in discussing it further. And sometimes that's how we come to God, with something held higher, so that even if he tells us what he thinks, what he calls us to, we can't and we won't do that because we have a prior commitment above and beyond God. We decide, which is really bad because what if exactly what we need from Jesus is for us to put down some of our previously held beliefs. What if what we need from Jesus right now is for us to stop doing some of the things that we have done or start doing some of the things we've been avoiding our whole life? What if that's actually the way to freedom, but we've already decided we can't and we won't? Then there's this great barrier between us and God. Sometimes we come to Jesus like this. Jesus, I need you to, I need your help with this. What's in your other hand? Don't worry about that. I need your help with this. What are you holding? Don't you even mess with this. I've had this my whole life. This is who I am. This is what I do. I'm not asking you about this. Focus, Jesus. <laughs> I need your help with this. Whatever this is, this is our God. You know, I'll follow God as long as he's helping with this. He starts meddling with that, not my God anymore. So that's, that becomes our God. Whatever it is we're holding back here. The church I grew up in, the pastor who stood up and preached every Sunday, did not believe that Jesus was the divine son of God. He believed he was just a wise teacher. He did not believe the Bible told the truth about who Jesus was and what he said. He thought the Bible was as good a book as we have, but it has a lot of bad stuff in it put there by a lot of bad people. And he did not believe in miracles. The only miracle he believed in was when you and I decide to love our neighbor. When you and I decide to love our neighbor, that's a miracle. Everything else is superstition. Now, the people in the seats did not know that's what the pastor thought at first. Um, they just believed we were reading the Bible and discovering the story of who God is. When they began to find that out, they started having meetings. And the denomination even sent someone to back the pastor up. And one of those meetings, some of the congregation stood up and asked the head of the whole thing in the country, if you don't believe that Jesus was divine, if you don't believe that the word of God, the Bible tells the truth about him, then how do you think we're saved? And he said, I don't swim in those waters. I don't swim in those waters. I don't think about divine or not divine or, or saved or not saved. You know, I do other stuff. I do politics. I do, I do church. I do church stuff. That's sort of what these priests are saying. I don't think about authority and repentance, and I don't think about that. I, I do other, we do other stuff. We, swim in, we don't swim in those waters. We, we talk about crowds and popularity, and we do temple stuff. We, we come every week and do that. When we behave that way, we're calling ourselves Christian, but we are functionally atheists. We call ourselves Christian, but we're functionally atheist. Um, because when we use these phrases, like, well, I have my God, and he works this way, and you have your God, and he works that way. 
I can't have that conversation. You know, I'll pick on Scott. I can't have that conversation with Scott. Scott, I have my Jesus, and you have your Jesus, or you can call him something else. Unless at the back of my mind, I'm saying, because, Scott, it really doesn't matter. There's no real God who's going to get upset about us treating him so casually. So since it doesn't matter, you have mine and I have yours, and we can get along, right? Because there's no, there's no one behind the curtain. If there is a real God who really is trying to reach us and teach us about himself, there's only one question you can actually ask him. Who are you and what do you ask of me? Who are you and what do you ask of me? <coughs> Once you have that real question out there, Jesus has a story for the priests. Verse 28. Jesus says, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first son and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of these two did the will of his father? And those priests said, the first one. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe in him. So let's talk about tax collectors for a moment. Um, You know, he's not saying like the IRS is all going to hell. Um, You know... Not always, I don't always, I get nervous when they call me too, but they're good people, you know, they're doing a job. We have some agents here in the church. God bless you. (laughs) Jesus is not talking about that kind of tax collector. So in his time, tax collectors were a little different. They they were Jews, but they worked for the Romans. So they're working for an enemy occupying force against their own people. And the money they were collecting was going to support an army that held them in oppression. So people are really upset already. But then they didn't have a salary. The deal was you can add on top of the taxes you collect anything you would like, and you can skim that then off, and that is your salary. And we have a Roman soldier here that will enforce the price that you set. So they're legally extorting their own people. Not only are they working against their own people during an occupation, they are getting rich off of it. And people did not like that. And so these tax collectors and these prostitutes... Jesus says they look like the type of people who don't plan to go out and do the work of the Lord. But when they heard the preaching of John, they did repent and they went out in the desert and they got baptized and they joined in the work of the kingdom of God. They're like that first son. Jesus said, you priests, on the other hand, you dressed up like you're getting ready to do something for God in the kingdom, but then you don't do it. You don't reach out. You don't perform the duties of the temple. You don't make the house of prayer a house of prayer. Uh, You're here harassing me. John's in prison because of people like you. You're like that second son who says, here I am, Lord. Then don't do it. He said, then you even watched as tax collectors and prostitutes turned their lives around, were baptized and began to enter the kingdom of God. And that still didn't move you. And here you are today harassing me with fake questions. And what are you going to be doing by the end of the week? They will turn this crowd against Jesus by the end of the week. 
so that they shout crucify him. And they will succeed through some false witnesses in getting something the Roman Empire can come in for and execute him on the cross. And that's what they're doing. Their hearts are revealed. But what does God do? At the end of the week, Jesus will raise from the dead. That is, Jesus is vindicated by God when he is raised from the dead. It's the same as God saying, my name is God and I approve this message. You're going to hear that once or twice for the next year um, on TV. So God says, Jesus has shown you who I am. Jesus has shown you who I am. All hearts are revealed. And so our question is, who are we this morning in the story? Are you perhaps the one who started out life, did not look like you were going to be entering the kingdom of God, but then you have. Are you more the one who was all dressed up for it and it seemed like you ought to be in the kingdom of God, but you're not? Are you something in between? There are lots of other stories besides just those two. Do you have something held back away from God? Saying, well, any God of mine won't fool with this. Jesus doesn't care as much about how we start, but a lot about how we finish. And so the decision that you make today about where to go next and what question to ask next is going to be the most important decision you make in your whole life. If you can go from this to swinging this around and saying really the only honest prayer you can, Lord, what do you say about this? And when you tell me what you say about this, I will try to understand it, even though it's hard for me. I've not believed this my whole life. I've not lived this way my whole life. But help me to understand it, Lord. Help me in my heart to understand your heart and to feel good about this. And help me with my life to do this and to live this way. But I can't do it alone, so help me with my unbelief. Jesus is not an undercover boss. Jesus is revealed. Jesus is showing us who God is. Jesus comes to say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And from now on, I shouldn't point to myself. That's so strange. (laughs) Jesus has come to say, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And I come to seek out and save those who are lost. I do swim in those waters. And whoever believes in me shall not perish, but have everlasting life and have life to the full. And all of that is right out front. And our response to that reveals. And there's a great freedom in that. There's a great freedom in that because this is how most of our culture is living right now. There's a thing going on in our culture where I have to make up my, you know, purpose in life and what I'm all about. And, you know, I have to cultivate that carefully in the online form and I have to present myself. And then it would help if I could make up a God who kind of backs up all that. And then I guess the court of public opinion decides if what I put together is a good person or not a good person. And it's a tremendous pressure, especially when the rules change every 48 hours. But in the kingdom of God, our purpose 
and our identity and everything, it flows from God. And it flows from a real God who exists and who shows us the way and the reason for which he made us. And even when he finds things that are off from that, guides us lovingly back onto the path. He loves us more than we could ever imagine. And he made us for a great purpose and we don't have to conjure up any of that ourselves. The closer we walk with him, the more we get to receive it. And who judges whether that was a good thing or not? Only God's judgment matters. Only God's judgment matters and he's fair. And he really knows everything that went into that and all the pressures we have felt and all the shortcomings we had to overcome. And he knows where we started and how we finished. And it only has to be good enough for him. So there's a great, great freedom in that.